Psalms a while ago, just before Easter, kind of an Easter primer. We looked at the Psalms of the cross. And then now we've come to this section of Scripture, Psalm 29, 30, and 31, that there's elements of trials. Psalm 29 was all about the storm. Psalm 30 was about the deliverance from the storm and how the psalmist offered up a a prayer of, of, of thanksgiving in the midst of it. It seemed that the particular trial that was being talked about in Psalm 30 was some sort of sickness or physical ailment. Now we move on to Psalm 31, and we're going to see seasons of the trial. In Psalm 31, we see a little bit more detail on how the one who trusts in the Lord weathers the storms of life well. But we also see the progression, because everybody who is sitting here has either just come through a trial, is about to go into a trial, or is maybe God has given you some time off in between trials. But nonetheless, man is born to trouble just as surely as sparks fly upward. Not just the trouble we get ourselves in, but also the trials that God brings into our life for the purpose of growing us and the purpose of maturing us. In this particular case, in Psalm 31, it seems to be an attack from the outside rather than a health issue. We're going to break up this psalm according to seasons, seasons of a year. Only these will be seasons of a trial. In verses 1 through 8, we're going to look at autumn. This is the coming trial, but also the spirit of trust before the trial hits. We'll see in verses 1 through 5 that the psalmist prays knowing that trials come, because again, he is born to trials, as all men are. And secondly, in verses 9 through 13, we have the winter season. That's when the trial hits and the psalmist is overwhelmed. Kind of got a little bit of a picture of that yesterday. I was at a pastor's conference down in Palm Springs. We were leaving Palm Springs, and it was beautiful. Blue skies. I could see a few clouds up north on the horizon, but didn't think anything of it. And I'm driving, and those clouds kept getting bigger and darker. So this was yesterday, about 3 o'clock. You remember what happened yesterday at 3 o'clock? I'm driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden, I can see storms. I can see rain coming down off in the, in the distance, whatever, and then I see the trial that I'm, I'm entering into. And so I turn on my windshield wipers, the, the drop start, and my windshield wipers, something got bent or something, and then they didn't work. And so going into this big trial, just, Lord, watch over and protect me. Well, that's the idea of the psalmist here. In the autumn of the trial, he understands winter's coming, that that hard time is on its way. And so the autumn, he's praying, but now, all of a sudden, he has hit the winter of the trial, and we'll see he becomes overwhelmed. Matter of fact, even that period of time, he takes his eyes off the Lord, but at the end, it seems as the trial is going to prevail, but he prevails in the Lord. We're told in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your being, all of who you are, and lean not on your own understanding, of your own understanding of what's going on around you, because again, God's got greater plans, God's got greater purposes. And verses 14 through 18, we'll see the spring. We'll see spring, and trust returns, and the Lord triumphs. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure, and he's a shield to those who put their trust in him. And then in verses 19 through 24, as summer, as trust is rewarded by deliverance once more. In Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and he heard my cry. 
Three others in the Bible have quoted Psalm 31 when in a trial. Jeremiah, as Babylon was coming upon the scene, in Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 29, he quoted verse 13, fear is on every side. Jonah, as he was in the belly of that great fish, he quoted verses 6 and 7, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And then in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus quoted verse 5. It says, when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And Psalm 31, and again, this is important. I think as we study the Psalms, this would be a good thing to remember, especially if you spend time reading through them and um and, and just having a desire, maybe even if you're skimming through them, again, if you put the first verse together with the last verse, in this particular case, the last two verses, you get a good idea of what the psalm is about. So verse 1 in Psalm 31, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. And then the last two verses, 23 and 24, O love the Lord, all you saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Hoping in the Lord, again, is trusting in God for your future. Trusting in God for maybe your ride home tonight and the perils that exist there. Trusting in God for what you're entering into tomorrow, this weekend, the coming weeks, months, years, whatever it may be. So we have our first season here, verses 1 and 2. And you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. And so he's looking down in the future, understanding that there's something on the horizon. This is the autumn of his trial for most of David's adult life. He had a trust. He trusted in mountains. He trusted in valleys. He trusted in the rocks that he was able to hide in from King Saul. And as Saul sought to take his life, but ultimately, even though he did have a trust in them, he hid amongst them, he realized that it was God whom we put our trust in. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Again, in you, O Lord. O Lord, it's all in capitals once again, and so this is speaking of Yahweh. This is God as he revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. Remember, that was a time of autumn as well, and really, it was even a little bit more than that, and that Israel was under Egyptian captivity, but God was going to do a work. And so first, he introduced himself to Moses saying, I am the God, and Yahweh literally means I am. Well, once again, the word Lord, all in capitals, it refers in Hebrew to Yahweh. But also, he's just not some obscure God. It says, in you. And again, this is the God that that David knows and that he understands. Now, the Old Testament is re- written in Hebrew, but especially in 1 John, John uses a play on words as far as the word know, to, to know somebody. There's two Greek words for know. There's oida and gnosko. Oida is to know something just because you read about it. And we can know God through reading about it and reading his word, and that's one level. But even the unbeliever can know God by reading a Bible and understand some of the attributes and some of the details about our God and the things that he has done. And so that would be oida. That's to know God on that particular level. But for the born-again believer, those who have a relationship with God, 
we know God on a deeper level. We gnosko God. We know God by experiencing God. There's book knowledge, and the book knowledge in the born-again believer's life is important. There's no doubt about that. But God takes it even deeper through Jesus Christ. He introduced himself to us. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so David, basically, what I see here, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. He's got that relationship with God. He's understood that the same God that has delivered him in the past is going to be the same God that delivers him as he goes through this trial that's coming up. He says, never let me be ashamed. It's not that he thinks God might do that, but he realizes that, again, God in the past has never shamed him, and God in the future is not going to shame him. What does he mean by that? Well, if you put your trust in somebody and they let you down, there's shame in that. I'm ashamed I put my trust in that. I mean, maybe look at yourself and the times you put trust in yourself and the shame that happened because of that because there's just certain situations and circumstances we can't deliver ourselves from. Let me never be ashamed. Why? Because he's not putting the trust in himself. He's putting his trust in God. Deliver me in your righteousness. Lord, don't deliver me how I want to be delivered. Don't deliver me when I want to be delivered. Deliver me according to your righteousness or your ultimate rightness. Because again, if God has a plan for the trials and tribulations that we go through, then I don't want to go into the trial, but sometimes I know I need to go into the trial. I don't want to go to the hardship and I don't want to be tested, but I know that I need those things. And because I need those things, God, let it be according to your will. David had sinned against God by numbering the people, and the sin in that was pride. Look at all the people I have in my kingdom. And God told him, well, he was convicted of it, and God gave him some choices of judgment. And ultimately, he says, God, you make the decision. I'd rather fall into your hands than the hands of man, because he knew the tender mercies of God. He knew the compassion of God, and he knew what God would do for the purpose of correction is exactly what he needed. Lord, deliver me in your righteousness, according to your timetable, according to your will, Lord, and according to your ways. Verse 2, bow down your ear to me. David had this expectation and knowledge that God hears his prayer. And so he's wanting to make sure, not, not, not that he causes God to hear his prayer, not that God wouldn't unless he said, bow down your ear, but this is just a reminder for himself that if we pray anything according to the will of God, he hears us and we have our petition. Well, how much more so if God truly loves us, which he does, the Bible says, and we're going through that trial that is going to affect us to our very core of who we are, then we've got the ear of God. And, and how much more so when you look at it that God wants you to seek after him in that time of trial. He wants to be your deliverer. He wants to be your help. He wants you to cry out to him. And so, again, we have that confidence that we have his ear. Deliver me speedily. Deliver me according to your timetable, but God, just not one minute more than is as is necessary because once again that reminds us that our trial our trial is custom designed for who we are where we are at in life 
and what is necessary in our lives as well. And as I've said so many times, your trial is not my trial, my trial is not your trial, but all trials are equally important and just as intent. Be my rock of refuge. Well, if you go to the place in Gedi where David was hiding from Saul, it's all rocks. And back then, they didn't have the Empire State Building. They didn't have the Sears Building or... Unfortunately, we have no more, but the World Trade Center, those things which we can think are so sure and so strong, well, they're not. And so the thing that he would have to equate something permanent and something stable would be a huge boulder or, or a huge rock. Lord, be that rock, be that solid place of my deliverance, of my refuge. He says, a fortress of defense to save me. Verse 3, for you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your namesake, lead me and guide me. For your namesake, again, because God is gracious, because God is merciful, because he's long-suffering, good, truthful, forgiving, right, and righteous judgment, deliver me. Because God, we know the name denotes nature and essence of God. The nature and essence of God. The nature of God and that there's no sin whatsoever. The essence of God in that he is that. He is God. He is divine. But how does man know? Well, man knows through the word of God. And we're also told that creation displays who God is. But how do I know the nature and the essence of God? How do I know mercy and grace, long-suffering, goodness, truthfulness, forgiveness, and righteous judgment is through the lives that God has touched of sinful men and women? And so again, when he says, you are my rock and fortress, therefore, for your namesake, not because I'm a good person. Matter of fact, I'm not a good person. But it's because that I'm not a good person that we're able to see the magnitude of your mercy and your grace, your long-suffering goodness, truthfulness, forgiveness, and righteous judgment. It's through man's imperfection that God is seen for whom he is. It's during the weakness of the trials that we experience that the strength of God is seen. See, I know, and you should know this as well, but we should know that God is merciful because we have not received the judgment that we deserve. We know that God is gracious because he has sent us a savior that we did not deserve. We know that God is good because he has been good to us all. We know that God is long-suffering because he strives with us. He's there for us. And again, long-suffering, he suffers long with us. He puts up with us, if you will. And we know that God is truth because he has been found truthfulness. His word has been found truthful in time after time after time as we've been going through hardship or as life tests God's word, God's word has been proven to be true time and time again. For you are my rock and my fortress, therefore, or because of that, for your namesake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. So again, this tells us that the trial, the trial is comes from a, a, a third party or parties. We don't know exactly who, it just at the title, it just says to the chief musician, a psalm of David. So we don't really know the exact situation that has been going on and um, the commentaries that I looked at, they had no real good guess, but it doesn't matter. Because again, I think a lot of times the Bible's silent on those things so that you would put yourself in the place of the psalmist. And so the idea here is, is that they may break my body. They may break my personality. 
But the thing about that is anything that any man does to you or is able to do to you, they can't break your spirit. Now, when I say spirit, I don't mean your personality. I mean the part of you that communes with God. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, really verses 1 through 6, that we formerly were spiritually dead. But God, but God entered in. And what did God do? He caused us to become spiritually alive. The unbeliever, the unbeliever, they have body, they have soul. Their body is their body, their soul, their soul is their personality, but they're spiritually dead. Because again, it's that which communes with God. Your pet, your pet has a body, your pet has a soul, in that your pet has a personality of some sort, but it doesn't have a spirit. Your, your pet doesn't commune with God. Have you ever seen your pet praying to the Lord? Have you ever seen your pet seeking God or maybe asking, how can you never bring me to church? No, they, they have no desire nor knowledge of those things because that's what a pet is. And so as far as that which communes with God, that which has that part of me that God has created has fellowship with God, nobody can touch that. Matter of fact, if you're truly born again, then you can't even touch that because God is always going to commune with you. God's going to convict you. God's going to chase after you, and God's going to minister to you. So regardless of this outward trial and those people who will come upon me, it's God who is my strength. Pull me out of the net, verse 4, which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. He has redeemed me, David is saying, and those who are redeemed are truly God's. Now, remember, we saw that in the previous chapter. In chapter 30, we saw redemption, redemption from the storm that we looked at in verse 29. And so God, God allows these things. A bigger part of the things that God allows to go on in our lives is the purpose, just simply, that we would look to him. If you're going through life and everything is perfect, I mean, if, if you truly believe that we're able to have heaven here on earth and you think you've arrived there, you would probably never think of God. You would never seek him out. But, but the times when you have trials come upon you, didn't you pray a little bit more often? Didn't you pray a little bit harder? Didn't you look a little bit deeper in the Bible for your situation or your circumstance? The Apostle Paul kind of had a, a little bit of a dilemma, and we know that God used him in amazing ways. And he went through trials, and he was beatings and shipwrecks, and you think, wow, this is just kind of water off his back. And there was one time that he was in a city, and the people came up against him, and they stoned him. They threw rocks at him, and they believed that he was dead. So he had to be pretty messed up. You know, just think of, of a rock and, and being stoned like that and to the point where people think you're dead. They drug him and threw him out of the city and people gathered around him and prayed and the Lord restored him back to life. It's believed that in Second Corinthians chapter 12, that's what he's talking about here. He says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelation of the Lord. Now, the, the theologians agree. Paul is speaking of himself here in the third party. Why? Because he wants to convey the message, but he does not want to touch the glory of God. And so keep it in mind, this all occurred as he was in the midst of a trial. I think if people come against you and they're throwing rocks at you, trying to kill you, you could call that an effective trial. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ 
who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know. He's basically saying this is revelation that God gave me and I can't go into any more detail on that because I just don't really know. He says, God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. The third heaven to the Jewish mind, that's the place where God dwells. Because there's heavens such as the sky that we see, these clouds that we see in the heavens there. And then there's the next heaven. That's the heaven where the, the planets are. Outer space is what we would call it. The third heaven would be the place where God dwells. Verse 3, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. And so it's believed during that time when Paul was dead that God brought him into heaven and showed him these visions and showed him these things so that we would understand as we're obedient to what God has called us to do and as opposition is going to come, again, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution, there is a better place that God has for us that one day we will be with him. Verse 5, of such a one I will boast, I'll boast in what God does. He says, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So again, now Paul goes from third party to speaking of himself as the one who's experiencing these things. Now just think what would happen if you were the one who God gave a glimpse of heaven to. First of all, you can make a lot of money and write a book. That's what that one guy did. I don't even remember the name of the book, but it proved to be fraudulent anyway. But no, you could very easily start thinking more of yourself than you really should. You could start thinking that, you know what? God loves me a little bit more than he loves you because he's brought me to heaven and gave, you know, you could just start thinking along those lines. And even in the ministry that God has given you, when you've seen God bless in that ministry, you could start thinking more of yourself than you really should. But here Paul gives this reality, and this is the trial. Verse 7, And least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. If somebody would think more of me than they should, just simply because, and it's not him, but it was God who revealed these things to him, above measure by the abundance of the revelations, he said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, some people think that that was a physical infirmity, and it's very possible that it was. I don't think so, though. Now, first of all, when it says a thorn in the flesh, a more accurate translation would be a stake. Keep in mind, what was Paul? Paul was a tent maker. He would understand, looking at this particular context, or at least the way he describes it, you would use a stake to to hammer that tent into the ground so that when winds came or whatever, it it would be rooted and grounded where it is that you planted it. And and what he's saying here is, this stake has been given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted. There was something that went on in his life, and it seemed to be something constant, that caused him to be grounded. And what I mean by grounded, to have the proper understanding and the knowledge of who he is, I really believe it was a sin issue of some sort. It's not that Paul's in sin. What are you talking about? It's not about that. Again, it's their sinful nature. My sinful nature keeps me grounded. My sinful nature reminds me that he's God and I'm not. Sinful nature reminds me of the grace of God that uses me regardless and in spite of myself. 
And, and so what does that do as far as keeping me grounded? Well, he says in verse 8, concerning this thing, and really the thing is, it's none of our business. This is between God and him, and that's why I believe he doesn't go into detail, because if Paul said, you know, whatever, I'm not going to even bring anything up but uh, specific, but whatever that particular issue is, we would look at him and say, oh, well, I don't do that, I'm okay. You're not okay. We all have that sinful nature to keep us grounded. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might, be, it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. You would say, why is that? For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Now, he's not taking pleasure in sinning. Don't get him wrong in that. But in his, it's in his weaknesses. Because it's his weaknesses that drive him to pray. And again, it's during that hard time. Just as David is doing back in Psalm 31. Just as we do even today. Just as Paul did. It's during those weak times that we seek the Lord out even more diligently. And again, that's what's going on here. Into your hand, back in uh, Psalm 31, verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Verse 6, I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. Again, that word Yahweh. I, the idols are just useless. They're nothing, but I trust in the God who truly is. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in the adversities. You know who I am. You understand my heart, and you know that I am your child. At verse 8, and have not shut me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. Are you put me in a very stable place? Well, you could say, Paul, it's a good thing you, I'm sorry, David, it's a good thing you know all of that because that was just autumn. That was just the knowledge of the coming trial. Again, I saw those clouds in the horizon as I was driving down the freeway, and sooner or later, I entered into that deluge. I entered into that storm, and that storm, it was pouring down water, uh, rain, and then all of a sudden, the hell entered in, and you got crazy people who don't understand when the weather's like that. You got to slow down a little bit, and, and there was no accident. There was nothing like that, but there was definitely the entering into that storm where you just felt God, just watch over me and get me to my destination. And so David enters into the winter season now. He says in verse 9, have mercy on me. What he's saying here is, God, don't give me what I deserve. Because see, it's when you enter into that hardship, things are going on that you don't really understand completely, and you're realizing, God, I know I deserve this, but this is overwhelming. Lord, I know I even deserve even worse than this. But God, this is getting to be the point of I'm just overwhelmed to the degree I don't know if I can, if I can take this anymore. Have mercy on me. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he's deserving of that and even worse. And it's those times once again, even as the Apostle Paul, that we come to the awareness of our imperfection. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in trouble. I'm at a place, God, that I can do nothing for myself. My eye wastes away with grief, and I imagine the idea is the tears that he is shedding. Yes, my soul and my body, this is touching me to the very depths of who I am. Notice he doesn't say spirit, because we've already seen that his spirit 
is protected by God, but again, his soul. Have you been in that grief where you just, like your personality just completely changes because you're overwhelmed by grief? And even people, when they've got too much, their, their body, we become sick and, and unproductive. Verse 10, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Have you ever been to that place where you're in that trial where you're just so overwhelmed, you're just kind of cowering in the corner because you feel not just so much useless, but unable to do anything and you're just kind of cowering and 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 these things are just are just kind of pounding upon you verse 11 i'm a reproach among all of my enemies but especially among my neighbors and am repulsive to my acquaintances those who see me outside flee from me it's more than likely again that this was an attack from others probably some sort of slander whoever it might uh whatever it might have been but if, if it's truly slander and apparently people started believing the lies that were being spoken against him and now people are even people who he had considered his friend or his support even they have turned away from him verse 12 I am forgotten like a dead man out of mine. I am like a broken vessel. So again, we see the depths of what he's experiencing. For I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. And the idea here is it just seems like everybody has forsaken me. Everybody is against me. And so here he's at the doorsteps of despair. But after winter leaves, what's on the horizon? Spring spring in that new new life you know the trees that were all bare and outwardly looking dead are now the leaves start to grow and things come to pass my apricot trees are still the apricots are still there they haven't ripened up yet when i when i get one i'll bring it in here and eat it in front of you so you're aware of it um but just that new life and that new life is on the horizon verse 14 but as for me i trusted in you O lord I say you are my God. Now, you go back to the winter, and it doesn't seem like, David, it was really like that. But again, we go through that hardship, and it's as if we're reintroduced to God. It's not that God left, but we can so easily lose God. But I think it's during, and lose God, we can so easily turn away from God. But it's during those times that as we get familiar with the trial, not that it lessens the difficulty of it, it doesn't whatsoever, it may even increase, but at some point, God is recognized as being bigger than the trial that he is going through. And that's the idea, that's the awareness that he is coming, for, coming to. But as for me, I trusted in you, O Lord. I was overwhelmed in the midst of that trial, but then I remembered God. Why? Because God remembered me. Remember Noah when he was on the, uh, on the seas? I don't remember the, the chapter. I think it was in chapter uh, Genesis chapter 9. And it starts out, and God remembered Noah. It's not like one of the angels, Lord, we got Noah out there floating around in the water. And it's like, oh, yeah. It's not like that. It's that God's attention was directed back towards Noah, that God had intended, and now is the time that he was going to do a work. But as for me, I trusted in you, O Lord. I said, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Again, may your blessings come into my life again. Save me for your mercy's sake. Again, why is it that God keeps his people? Why is it that God moves in our lives? Why is it that he allows the trials for maturity? Because you are the poster child 
for God. You are the one whom God has chosen to display his glory. Again, this moon tonight, if the moon's out, if we can see the moon, it'll look like it's illuminated, but it's not. It's reflecting the glory of the sun. We are to reflect the glory of God. If God's people should cease to exist, then there will be no glory reflected. Verse 17, do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silent, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Lord, may their foolishness be brought back upon themselves. Lord, reveal the truth and the reality of the situation or the reality of me or whatever it might be, Lord, and may they be found out for who they are. God, may we be found out as we go through the trial for who we are. Now, everybody knows we're sinners, imperfect people, but Lord, may I be found out as one who trusts in you. And then after the springtime comes the summer, this great deliverance. Now, David, the trial is now behind him. And that trial, which seemed so overwhelming, so consuming, it's not that it didn't seem so bad after all, once he got through it, but he realized that God was in control, and he realized how good God was, that he did allow him to go through it. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. Fear is always... A fear of God is always made manifest through obedience to God, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. From the plots of men, you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. So even though all that hardship, that storm, those waters were raging, even though I was going through this big storm on the freeway, I was inside of my car, I had the defroster on, and I was safe, I was dry, and I got through the storm. The storm of trials, I'm being held safe by God and the protection of God under the shadow of God's wings as we go through those things. God may pull back a little bit for the storm in order that I would come closer to him, but that's what David is realizing. You were with me, God. You were with me, Lord, every step of that hard journey. Verse 21, blessed be the Lord. For he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. When he says, blessed be the Lord, again, God blesses us by doing well for us. That God did well for David. He kept him through that trial, enabled him to go in of it and out of it, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But also, us blessing God is us speaking well of what he has done for us. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we are to comfort others with the same comfort with which God has comforted us. And so David, speaking well of God, again, I've pointed a concept out before. As I've gone through the trial, I'm out. Thank you, Lord. But now all of a sudden I see Fred over here. Fred's going through that same trial. And now I'm able to bless God, speak well of God, encourage Fred. And I'm not just encouraging Fred and just you know, just, just saying empty words of so-called encouragement, I can tell Fred, Fred, you know what you're going through? I've gone through that. I'm experience, I've experienced exactly what you've experienced. I've experienced the death of a loved one. I've experienced the bad news from the doctor. I've experienced the loss of a job. 
I've experienced, and you can fill in the blank because that's part of the blessing of being in the church. As you go through a trial, somebody else has already gone through that trial, and they're able to comfort you with the same comfort with which they have been comforted, and you're able to do the same thing in return. And the idea is is that we are God's minister, encouraging and strengthening one another. Again, verse 21, Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I have said in my haste, and again, we all act in haste as we're going in the midst of it, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Again, you can look back at verses 1 through 5, and we see as he was entering in and the prayers that he was praying. And then in conclusion, verses 23 through 24, Oh, love the Lord, all of you saints. And the idea is, just as God ministered to me, God will minister to you. Keep in mind what a saint is. It's not those people who go through some committee and are voted in. A saint are just simply people that are separated from the world, separated from those who will receive judgment and brought into God's family. Oh, love the Lord, all of you saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful. That's key. Most important, or most of all, it's important that a servant be found faithful. Continue to be faithful faithful when it's hard if you don't understand what's going on that's okay continue to be faithful i've seen very faithful people in this church and they prevailed every time i've seen people who haven't been so faithful and they didn't like what was going on or whatever and they bailed out and they missed the blessing continue to be faithful the lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person verse 24 be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart Not talking about your strength, but the strength that comes from God. All you who hope in the Lord. Everybody who trusts in God for their future. Everybody here, well, some of us have gone through a trial. Some of us maybe are in the midst of a trial. Some of us, well, maybe you're just about, maybe you're in the autumn of that progression as well. And what does God do? God prepares us for his word. Just as God worked in King David's life back then, God uses the example. And that's the beauty of the Psalms. The Psalms are so practical. We've experienced a lot of the things that David or whoever the psalmist is has experienced. And just as God moved in their life, because God doesn't like David or love David more than he loves you, he loves all of his children. Just as he moved in David's life, he's more than willing to move in your life as well. Father, I pray that we would be people of prayer. I pray, God, that we would seek after you and hunger and thirst for your righteousness. And I pray, Lord, even as we see this pattern of perseverance through a hard time, difficult day, I pray, Father, that we would see, Lord, just how you've moved in David's life and the rest of the Psalms, the psalmist's life, the various psalmists, and understand that, God, that's how you move and that's how you work in lives today. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness and just pray, Father, not just our trials, but I do pray that we would receive all that you would have, but, God, I pray that we would be well prepared to minister to our brothers and sisters who go through similar trials as well. So, Father, we just lift up this night that you have for us. I pray, God, that as you have blessed us with your word, that you would prepare us, God, for every good work. I lift up once more grads, Lord, as they're going through graduation right now. I pray that you would prepare them for their future. Use them in amazing ways, God. We just ask for your goodness and grace to continue to be reflected through our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?